The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, hey, if you're new here, let me welcome you. My name's Eric. Uh, I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and uh, we are wanting to invite every one of you to simply take a step. Everyone say, take a step. This is the time of year where we want to move. We want to step forward. We want to evaluate what's going on. And so this time of year, it kind of acts like a reset button. You know what I'm saying? It's like the calendar changes, and so then we, we kind of evaluate where we are, and then we ourselves want to hit the reset button. And then that reset button is, is fueled by an evaluation of really who we aspire to be. And so you look back at the last 12 months, or you look back at the last five years, or you look back at wherever you are, and you say, hey, am I the kind of person that I, I ultimately have aspired to be? That, that am my ambitions moving forward? And so what happens is we see these gray areas, or we see these cracks, or we see these, these deficits in where we are and who we are, and so we make promises to ourselves. How many of you have done that? Right? We, we make a promise to ourselves, you know, cross our heart, stick a needle in my eye, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to be better, I'm going to move forward, I'm going to be motivated, and I'm determined. So here we are, eight days in, and I have to ask, how's that going? Some of you are like, thumbs up, some of you are like, and I, don't, I could do better, right? Already, right? You're like, I could do better. Uh, and so we believe that this year we're going to do it. And so what happens is, is this time of year we kind of look at the scoreboard of our lives, right? And, and, and even eight days in, after eight days of the clock has kind of ticked away, you look at your life and you say, well, I'm a little behind, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not where I need to be, and, 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 and you look at the scoreboard, and, and you're like, well, you know, come, come February, things are going to change, and March, things are going to change, and, and in July, things are definitely going to change, and, and, so, and so what happens is time continues to click off the clock, and, and you look at the score of your life, and, and at some point, you determine, well, I'm so far behind, I need a mercy rule. I'm so far behind that I'll never catch up, and instead, if this is I'm never going to catch up, I might as well just give up. And we do that with all of these different things that we've determined to do. A few weeks before Christmas, I was watching um, Monday Night Football because there's really nothing else to do on Monday nights. I was watching Monday Night Football, and it was... um, uh, the, the Buccaneers and the Saints, so Tom Brady. How many of you know Tom Brady? If you don't know Tom Brady, uh, he's the man uh, when it comes to quarterbacks. And uh, so he, here it is. It's the Saints versus Tom Brady. And, um, and, and what happened was it's in the fourth quarter, and uh, there's five minutes left in the game, and they're down 13 points. And so for all of you sports fanatics who don't know what that means in football, that means two touchdowns, all right? They're, they're down two touchdowns. It's 16 to three, and, and Tom Brady has the ball. And so they, they kind of move this ball forward. They, they score their first uh, of the two that they need, touchdowns, and now the score, because of the touchdown and the extra point, that's seven points, so now the score is 
16 to 10, that's right, you're good at math. And so then what happens is they get this stop, and there's this skirmish. They, they get the ball back, and, and Tom Brady has it with two minutes remaining. All right, and then what happens is they march down the field and they march down the field and they, they milk the clock. They want it to kind of come down to the end and the throw. And, and Tom Brady throws his touchdown with 16 seconds left on the clock, but there's a penalty, so it doesn't count. So here they are, 16 seconds left. They run a play, doesn't work, run a play, doesn't work. And then with three seconds left, Throws in the end zone, it's caught, touchdown, extra point. They take the lead, 17-16, and people are going crazy. With that win, Tom Brady sets an NFL record with 44 fourth-quarter comeback wins. That gives him the nickname, among his other nicknames, the comeback kid. Right, because he's been in this situation where he's down and he, he, he just simply says, well, well, let's just move forward. Let's just one yard, one step. I wanna, I wanna just get us a little bit closer and then a little bit closer and then a little bit closer. And so what happens is he becomes the comeback kid 44 times in a row, or not in a row, but over his life. Last year of my 23-year ministry, um, was the first time that I've done more funerals than weddings. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. But last year was one of those years. Listen, God has given us this day by his grace. And no matter what your score looks like in life, there's time on the clock. There's time left. And here's the good news. Jesus, who is the hero of every story, has a desire to move your life forward to victory. I, I need you to understand, Jesus was nailed to the cross for all your sin, past present and future. One time, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God towards your sin, but then on the third day, when the clock seemed to have struck zero, when all of darkness and all of hope seems to be lost, Jesus rose from the grave, making him the ultimate comeback kid, amen? And so listen, when you give your life to Team Jesus, when you ask Jesus to be the the, the quarterback of your life, and you say, you lead me, Jesus. You take me where you want to take me. You bring us to where you want to bring us. When, when you give your life to Jesus, listen, you don't have to look at the clock and say it's too late, because Jesus turns things around in a hurry. Amen? I mean, he can do it. And so listen, my, my plea to you this year is don't waste a single moment to just simply resolve to do things, but rather become the kind of person that God wants you to become. Don't just simply say, you know, I'm gonna do this, or I'm gonna do this, or I'm gonna make myself better. Ask yourself, what kind of person do I wanna be? What kind of reflection 
Do I want people to glean off of my life? Because James 4.14 says, you do not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And then vanishes. Let us make the most of every moment and allow Jesus to move us forward to victory. Did you know it was 33 weeks ago that we started this journey through the book of Acts? We're gonna finish it today. We're in sermon number 23, 33 weeks ago. We entitled the book of Acts, The Movement Begins. And we entitled that because Acts is short for action, movement, change, development. Jesus dies on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He rose back to life. He appeared to his disciples and more than 500 brothers at one time, it says in, in Corinthians. And so he, he hangs out as the resurrected Jesus for about 40 days before he ascends back into heavens. And he tells his disciples, he tells his followers, I need you to wait in Jerusalem on, until I send you the Holy Spirit. Because what's going to happen is I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and you're going to have this change in your life. It's gonna empower you to, to fulfill the great commission that I've given you, which is go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And so he gives them the commission, and he says, you can't fulfill that yet. What you need is you need the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that the book of Acts is not necessarily referring to the Acts of the Apostles, and it's not necessarily referring to the Acts of the Church, but I believe Acts is referring to the act of the Holy Spirit through the church, through the people who say, I'm on team Jesus. And, and so I believe that this book is about the people of God being empowered by the Spirit of God to advance the good news of God in Jesus Christ. And, and so what happens is in Acts 1, they're waiting in the upper room. Jesus says, I will... I will fill you with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth and they're waiting and they're praying and they're asking God to send the Spirit. And so what happens in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes and it says it's like a tornado. Like, like literally the, the, the translation is like, it's like, it says rushing wind. But if you've ever been caught up in a tornado, what a tornado does is it rushes in a way that it pulls things in and then sends them out. And so what happens is this tornado of the Holy Spirit comes and brings them in and then sends them out with great power. And so what happens in that moment is that the great commission that Jesus gave becomes their life's ambition. It changed them. The great commission and the and the, and the command to go to the ends of the earth, it, it, it wasn't just a good idea. It, it wasn't for them just a resolution. Are you with me on that? It wasn't like, you know what, on my to-do list, I should probably go and make disciples. What, I, I think I can do that around three o'clock on Thursday. It became their life. 
It wasn't a, a change in behavior. It wasn't a modification that they made at the new year. The Great Commission was not something they resolved to do. It became their life's ambition. It's their main goal above all goals. And so let me just ask you, if you're evaluating your 2022 and you're evaluating your life and you're looking ahead to what the months will hold, is the Great Commission your ambition? Because we set goals to simply, you know what, I'm a little, you know, thicker than I want to be, so I need to eat healthier. I need to work out more. I need to change this behavior. I need to change this thing about me. And they're all really self-motivated to say, okay, how can I be great? But what is the ambition for the church to say, let's make his name great? Are we putting that on the list? What do I need to do to, to move forward to have my life be changed in that way? Well, let me tell you the first thing that needs to happen is we need the Holy Spirit. We need God to not just simply tell us what to do. We need God to empower us to do his will. And so because here they are, and it starts to redefine how they live, it starts to change their life, and they became a gospel-proclaiming disciple makers. That's their deal. Do you realize that among the disciples, right, there's all these different professions, right? You know, there's, there's fishermen, and there's there's tax collectors and there's, there's, uh, there's religious guys. I mean, there's guys that are from uh, all, all different walks of life. And, and now all of a sudden, uh, fisherman doesn't define them anymore, but fisher of men, right? Tax collector doesn't define them anymore. They, they're, they're preaching, gospel pray, proclaiming, disciple making uh, uh, men. And so what happens is, is we say, you know what, this is what I do and maybe if I have an opportunity, I can talk about Jesus. My, my wife has a shirt. It says, uh, fitness teacher, gospel preacher. You seen her wear that, anyone? What a great shirt. I think some of you else have it. Fitness teacher, gospel preacher. You know, because I overanalyze everything, I think it should be the other way. I think it should be gospel preacher, fitness teacher. We all need shirts, don't we, to remind us right? Kindergarten teacher, gospel preacher, right? Construction worker, gospel preacher, or gospel preacher, construction worker, right? Gospel preacher, eye doctor, gospel preacher, horse trainer, gospel preacher, worship leader, right? And so, and so we need reminding that our, our, our identity is to proclaim Christ, and what we do funnels through that filter. And so gospel preacher, listen, it's not a profession. You look at me week in and week out, and you say, oh, that's his profession, that's for him. But really, for the scriptures and for the Holy Spirit to fill the people of the church, we are all become gospel-proclaiming, disciple-making followers of Jesus. It just so happens that I'm in the lights. And so what we need to understand is, is gospel proclaiming is not just what we do, it's who we are as you're filled by the Spirit. And so today, I want you to see the Apostle Paul who was once called the chief sinner, the great persecutor, fulfill his life's ambition of getting the gospel out, particularly in this case, to Rome. 
Rome was 2,997.4 miles from where the Spirit first fell. And so when the Spirit of God comes, almost 3,000 miles away is the ambition to take the gospel. In these last few chapters of Acts, there's four things I believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to see about our own lives that would help us compel us or give us a new ambition or new eyes to see how God really desires us to live because how you live testifies to your ambitions. And so, listen, some of us, if we're honest, we can look at our lives and just begin to evaluate our ambitions. Some of us, we'd say, you know what? I just want to get promoted. That's my ambition. So that's what keeps me up at night. I want to make some more money. I want to get a better job. I'd like to have a bigger savings. And so we, we make steps to move in that direction rather than saying, you know, I want people to know and trust Jesus. Some people would say, you know what, I, I feel like I need to, I have an ambition to lose some weight. I have some ambition to be healthier. I have some ambition more than I want people to know Jesus. And so I make steps and, 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 and resolutions to do those things. Or I, I, want, I have an ambition to, to get a degree. Or I have an ambition to get married more than I want people to actually know Jesus. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong with those things. N- nothing at all. But, but what happens is when the spirit blows, our lives should look different. Our ambitions should shift. Will this job, will, will this allow me to proclaim Jesus in areas that I wouldn't otherwise? Would this degree allow me a platform to begin to speak into people's lives about Jesus Christ? If I get the promotion, would that money be a resource that I could use to help further the gospel and advance the kingdom of God? Would, would this marriage help sanctify me and, and change me and help, and help show me more and more of the gospel and we can, we can partner together in mission? And so what happens is we need to have a deeper ambition and so we see that here in the book of Acts. So four things. Number one, I would encourage you to live provocatively. Live provocatively. That's a weird statement, but let me tell you what it means. People ask, they're provoked by your life that asks, why do you live the way you live? Your life is interesting. Why do you, why do you live that way? Not, not, listen, not why do you go to church, but what, there's something unique about your ambitions and your values and what your life is about that would provoke the world to look at you and begin to ask questions. I don't understand. Why would you do that? You must, you must live with a different ambition. And so, listen, uh, live provocatively doesn't mean, okay, this is my life. I, uh, I, I go to bed, I, I wake up early, I eat some breakfast, I go to work, I punch the clock, I take my breaks, I take my lunch, right? I punch the clock, I sit in traffic, I go home, I, I eat, I watch the TV, I go to bed, I get up, I, I go to work, I punch the clock, I take my breaks, you know, take my lunch, punch the clock, sit in traffic, go home, and, and people look at that and say, oh yeah, you're just one of the cattle being led to the slaughter. Just what we do. 
And so living provocatively would also mean doing those things that need to be done, but, but living in such a way while you do them that people would ask there's something different about them. Let me catch you up on the story in Acts. Paul, he left the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He gets to Jerusalem. The Jewish authorities there recognize him, and then they tell the Romans uh, that he's come to start a political revolt, <laughs> okay? And, and so they give him over to the, 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 the governor, and, and Paul is in prison for two years. Now, I want you to get your mind around that because it's one thing to be persecuted for the gospel. It's another thing to sit there in prison uh, being forgotten for two years. Amen? And so listen, he's in prison for two years, sitting, waiting, wondering, thinking, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't be discouraged for Paul because it's in prison during that time that he wrote most of the New Testament for you. And listen, some of you are there right now, you feel like you're forgotten. You feel like, what's the purpose to this loneliness, right? Maybe this time of year you just, you just feel forgotten. Well, I wanna encourage you, take a step. Maybe start journaling. Ask God, what is it that you want me to put out? And so while he's still captive, there's another governor, Herod Agrippa. Everyone say Agrippa. That's fun to say, Agrippa. Herod Agrippa comes to visit, and he says, I hear you got Paul in prison. I've heard about this guy. Imagine that. There's no internet. I hear you got Paul. What is it about that guy? How is it that I've heard of Paul? I've heard about Paul. And then in, in uh, uh, chapter 25, Acts 25, in verse 22, Agrippa says to Festus, he says, I would like to hear this man myself. Can I talk to him? I've heard about this guy. He's so radical. Like there's something different about this guy. I've got to talk to him. He says, can I, can I talk to this guy? Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. Uh, chapter 26, verse one. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. I want to hear what makes you tick. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. So, so Agrippa's like, hey, why are you in prison? Why so much commotion around your life? Why, is, why do people love you and hate you? What is this about your life? He says, speak freely because I really, really, I really wanna know. I don't want you to just simply tell me what I wanna hear. I wanna know what is it about your life. And Paul says, let me make my defense. Defense, that's a unique word, isn't it? Defense of why you live the way you live. 1 Peter 3.15 it says, in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a what? To make a defense. To anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. 
A defense. Listen, you only need to be prepared to make a defense if you live in such a way that provokes a question. Why do you live the way you live? Agrippa wants to know why Paul lived in such a way that stirred up so many people. Why do the Jews hate this guy? Why are you so ambitious for Jesus? Why will you die for the gospel? Why is it that you're so passionate about Christ? Paul's life provoked a question. Let me ask you, does your life provoke a question? Does our life, as a church body, do the people in the, in the, in the culture, do they look at LifePoint Church and say, what is it about that church? Listen, that's why I tell you all the time, I don't want to simply just invite you to church. I want to invite you into a movement. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't feel the call of God to start a church just so that we could gather and sing and you could hear me shout a little bit and, and then go on your way, but rather a people who are so hungry for the move of God and the filling of the Spirit that people would look at the body and say there's something different that's not the same as I've seen everywhere else. Do you have this ambition for your life to make a statement? Now, I know I know we're not in the same circumstances as Paul, but do people look at your life and say, I don't get why you live the way you live? Has anyone looked at your life and say, man, how is it that you have such hope in the midst of tragedy? How is it that you're so graceful to those who've belittled you? How is it that you're so patient? How is it that you, you're so forgiving and you're not easily angered? How is it? Why is it that you're so generous with all that you have? Matthew 5, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We like that, don't we? We're the light of the world. Really? Hey. We're like a city that shines from the top of the hill that everyone can see. We like that verse. But do you realize the verses right before that? Jesus says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know what shines bright? Is rejoicing in pain. That is the city on a hill that can't be hidden. 
When you go through trials, when you go through pain, when you go through suffering, blessed are those who live for righteousness sake because theirs is the kingdom. When you go through that, rejoice and be glad. Why do you rejoice in a time like this? What is that, people will ask. That's like a light. It's like a city. It's different. It shines in the darkness. So do you live your life in a way that people would ask, why are you rejoicing in this moment? We are not saved by our good deeds. We are saved for our good deeds. And the greatest of deeds that we can do is proclaim the goodness of Jesus even in suffering. And our lives and those who are in Christ should live lives for a new kingdom purpose. We should look so radically different that it provokes questions among those who are far from God. Does your life provoke questions? Are people intrigued by the way you live? Why do you live the way you live? Why do you work with such excellence and integrity when, when you, could, you could simply just change the number and get ahead? I can tell you work for a different boss than money. Everyone else is ruled by money. You're ruled by something else. How you handle disappointment or pain. How you have hope in the midst of tragedy. It's during those times that are some of the best places to proclaim the gospel. And that, my friend, is the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is defined by the happenings of your life. If this happens, I'll be happy. If this happens, I'll be happy. But joy is rooted Someone who doesn't change the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the strength of the Lord will be my joy. And so listen, anyone can be happy when things are going well, amen? But a city set on a hill is joy that surpasses understanding. It's how you live provoking the questions. It's how you spend your time provoking the questions. It's how you spend your money provoking the question, did you know the average person in the church gives 2.4% to the mission of God? 2.4, that's the average in the church. The average American gives 2% to charities or good things. You think 0.4% is radical? You live your life in a way that would, would cause others to say, I just don't get it. There's something more that you, that you see or that you know that, that others don't know. And so this year, may we live provocatively that provokes others to look at a city that is set on a hill. Number two, seize opportunities. The end of Paul's message with Agrippa, Paul goes on this uh, roll showing that all of the Jewish prophets proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 26, uh, verse 27, right, this is, this is what happens. So he's in this conversation. Agrippa says, hey, I want you to speak freely. Tell me what it is about you that, that is so intriguing. And at the end, he begins to talk about how all the prophets point to Jesus. Verse 27, chapter 26, it says this. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know 
that you believe. He knows Agrippa's background. He knows where he comes from. He knows how he was raised. He knows something about Agrippa, and he says, hey, let me ask you, do you believe the prophets? Because I know you do. I know you believe. And Agrippa says to Paul, in such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. In other words, yeah. Because I'm a Christian and Jesus has changed my life and I've been born again and I've been filled by the Spirit and there's a joy that in me that surpasses understanding and there's a promises of God that I'm living for, that I'm clinging to, that I'm holding on to because as a Christian, I have a hope that the world doesn't have. I have a promise that the world doesn't have. I have something, Jesus Christ is in me and so I would love for you to become a Christian. Not only you, but everyone who hears. Listen to what he says. He says, I would to God that not only you, but also everyone who hear me on this day might become born again Christian follower of Jesus Christ, such as I am, I wish you to become just like me, except for these chains. I don't want you to be bound. I want you to be set free. Paul's life is on the line. You have to give a defense, and you come to the judge, the one who could set you free, and he has an opportunity to say what he thinks he wants him to hear, or rather talk to him about Jesus Christ and the freedom in Christ. And so every moment of your life is an opportunity. Every moment, you have an opportunity to be silent, or you have an opportunity to proclaim. You have an opportunity to be indifferent and complacent or apathetic, or you have an opportunity to be lazy, or you have an opportunity to be focused and ask the Holy Spirit to give you opportunities every day. Let me ask you, is that how you see your life? Paul saw every situation as a platform to proclaim Jesus. And so I would encourage you, as a body, as a person, seize gospel opportunities. Number three. Embrace sovereignty. When we speak of the sovereignty of God, what we mean is that God is powerful and God is authoritative. When we speak of sovereignty of God, we say God is powerful and God is authoritative to the extent that he's able to override all other powers and authorities, meaning he is ultimately powerful and ultimately authoritative. We can look around the world and say that person's in power, that person has authority, that person is in control, that person uh, rules this place. But above that is God. Are you with me on that? So when we talk about God's sovereignty, he is sovereign over all powers and all authorities and nothing can successfully stop any act, any event, any design, any purpose that God intends to bring about. He is sovereign and we as a body must embrace it. Not reject it because we live in America, we wanna be free, we wanna rule our own lives, but embrace the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ as sovereign. Job. 42.2 says this, 
He says, I know you can do all things, oh God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I love that word. You guys ever use that word? Thwarted? There's no purpose of yours that can be thwarted. I think that's about the best definition of sovereignty in the Bible. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Daniel 4.35, he does according to his will among the hosts of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He is totally and completely in control. What if, what if you lived your life in such a way that people would ask questions about your God? What if you seized every opportunity to talk to people about Jesus? And what if your life was consumed with the sovereignty of God for you? In Acts 27, King Agrippa puts Paul on a boat, sends him to Caesar. That was his plea. I want to talk to Caesar. Okay, talk to Caesar. The boat gets swept away by a hurricane. It gets blown out to sea, and they basically get lost for a month. Can this guy catch a break? Prison for two years, okay, we'll put you on a boat, hurricane, out, lost. Chapter 27, verse 21, it says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me, and you should not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. That's the Paul point who says, I tried to tell you. Right? It's going to be rough. I tried to tell you. I tried to warn you. But you're here nonetheless. Verse 22. Yet, you know, I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and the God whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who, uh, who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that will, it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul, he didn't let the storm make him doubt God's control. The storm was actually given to Paul as an opportunity to share his hope in Christ. Verse 37 says there was 276 people on the boat. Some were prisoners like Paul, some were soldiers, some were just simple travelers. I want you to get that picture in your mind, 276 people on the boat. Yet in this moment, they all have one thing in common. What is it that they have in common? 276 people, some soldiers, some prisoners, some regular travelers. What they all have in common is that they're afraid. They think they're going to die. And Paul, as a fellow traveler in this moment, God gives him a unique, compelling platform to share the gospel, I'm gonna tell you something right now that you need to lock into your heart. As a Christian, God does not shield you from the storm. He allows you to go through things that everyone else goes through so that in that storm, you can show them what hope within the storm looks like. Because it's so easy 
to call to people who are in a storm while you're in your safety outside of the storm and say, oh, it's going to be okay in there. But as a fellow traveler who is caught up in the same circumstance and the same scenario, you have an opportunity that God has given you to trust in his sovereignty that he has you there for a purpose and that is to proclaim Jesus Christ because demonstrating the presence of God in the storm is way more effective than calling to them from outside. The loudest pulpit from the cancer bed. When you say, my body's in pain, but my spirit is full of hope. One day my God will wipe away every tear from my eye. Every pain that I'm experiencing is not worthy to be compared to the future glory that awaits me. Pull out a sermon. The greatest sermon that you could preach may be from a graveside, or from the loss of a child, from a fiery furnace or the belly of a fish or in a shipwreck that says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, but the Lord who heals all my diseases and forgives all my sins and redeems my life from the pit. You crown me with the crown of righteousness. You satisfy my soul and you are good. It's when you're in a tragedy and you feel forsaken, or you're fired from a job for doing something right, it's in that moment that you can proclaim to your fellow travelers, oh Lord, you are my refuge, you are my provider, you lift my, help, my head, oh Lord, where does my help come from? My helper comes from the Lord, he's the maker of heaven and earth, and I am embracing his sovereignty right now in this moment. So strong to proclaim the hope in Christ as a fellow traveler. And so God will allow you to go through situations to give you a platform to speak. Seize the opportunity. Embrace his sovereignty. Take risks for him. Don't, don't, listen, don't be buried in the lie that says you need to be perfect to share the gospel. And the contrary is actually true. You need to be broken in order to share the gospel. Because what happens is you're not given this life to just show everyone how awesome you are, but how great God is and how good his grace is. And you don't taste of the sweetness of his forgiveness until you're broken by your own sin. Oh, how sweet that God would save a wretch like me. Oh, how sweet it is that God would, would push me as his son. Because listen, there's days, I know I'm a child of God, but there's days I don't live like it. And so where repentance comes in and brokenness comes in and, and the love of God says your worth and your forgiveness and your steadfast love surpasses my behavior. I'm trusting in you. I'm hoping in you. You are with me in every single storm. So listen to me. I do not desire for any one of you to have a shipwreck year. But more than I desire for your safety, 
I desire that God would be glorified in every storm of your life because you are not put on earth to magnify yourself but to magnify the goodness of God despite every storm. God will make you a fellow traveler and God will allow you to experience hardships so we can put on display the goodness that is within. Christ Christ controls every wind and rave. The last one is this, take risks. Some of you don't like to take risks. Some of you don't like to leave home. Amazon is your favorite friend. You never have to go to the store again. Take risks. Take risks. I was thinking about taking risks. I was like, you know, someone said to me this week, they said, you know, Eric, you're different. You realize that? You're different. I thought, what, what, is, what is that? You know that, right? Yeah, I know. Do you know for over half my life since becoming a Christian, my whole life has been surrounded by just simply taking risks. And you're like, why are you so bold? Why are you so crazy? Like, you're, you're out there. It's just my life because I've taken so many risks and God shows up faithful every single time. I want that for you. I want you to get out. I want you to take risks for the gospel. Paul, he finally makes it to Rome. He calls the local leaders together and he's testifying about the kingdom of God. It leads us to the last chapter of Acts. Acts 28 and verse 23. When they had pointed a day for him, They came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying of the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he's talking to them. Listen, there is a convincing. We're blind. Our hearts are are hard. He says, I'm convincing them. And, And some were convinced by what he said. But others, they disbelieved. Others disbelieved. Verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all those who came in. What did he do? Proclaim the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then the book just. So what happens then? Does he get to Spain? He just, two years and then he's done? It's kind of a cliffhanger. We're not told what happens to Paul or his ambitions because the book is not about Paul and it's not about his ambitions and it's not about his dreams. It's about the spirit of the gospel. And so listen, here we are this morning 
2,000 years and 5,000 miles from Rome. And the Spirit still wants to advance the gospel through his people, through you and me. And we believe that we're supposed to make the gospel famous here. Listen, we're only going to be able to reach the people that no one else is reaching by doing things that no one else is doing. By living in ways that no one else is living. And so listen, take risks. Take risks for the gospel. Live in a way that would provoke questions. Seize gospel opportunities even when you're afraid. Embrace God's sovereignty in that moment of storm and take risks for his glory. There's still time on the clock. Jesus is your quarterback. He wants to move you forward. The wind of the spirit that fills the church in Acts 2, it scatters them to the ends of the earth. And God has placed you here in this church, in this moment, in this city, with your friends and your family so that they would come to know Jesus. But you got to take risks. you got to take risks. Risk it all for him. He gave it all for you, so let's go, let's, let's risk it. Take risks with your invitations. Invite. You don't know, if you don't know what to say, just invite them. Just come in here. the good news of the Lord. We've got invites in a basket out there on the welcome table. We probably handed out 12 in the last six months. I don't need an invite. I don't plan on inviting nobody. It's because you don't want to take a risk. Take risks with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your families, even with strangers. Because when you take risks, it'll do two things. It'll grow your faith and it'll give God a chance to work. And in the end, it's not about you. Take risks in your service and your volunteering. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the auditorium looks a little different in the back. Right? January is our, our Group Connect month. It's where you get to serve. You get to connect with different groups. You get to connect with different teams. You get to serve. Take risks with your service. And I'm going to say something right now that you need to definitely listen to. Our kids' ministry is the tip of the spear for the most accessible and most vital mission field in America, working and sharing the gospel with young kids is the most important mission field that this church can actually take hold of. You know, I don't like it. Take a risk. I don't want to take a risk for the gospel. Listen, we do not babysit children here but rather we place an anchor of the gospel in the hearts of young minds, in the hearts of young kids that go so deep that they will never drift away from the truth of the gospel. Because what's happening is what's gonna happen is they're gonna hit that insanity years. Middle school, that's what we call it. And they're gonna need something that's been poured into them by people who love and trust Jesus that is so deep that would say, you know what, I'm gonna rise above this. They're gonna trust and treasure Jesus no matter what, even when it gets crazy in middle school. 
take risks, serve, get involved, connect arm in arm with your brothers and your sisters and say, how are we gonna help people grow and trust and treasure Jesus? Listen, take risks with your generosity. We don't, we don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. But if we're gonna, if we're gonna increase our reach and raise up new leaders and send out more missionaries and raise up and, and plant more churches. Listen, it takes some dollars to do that. I'm just saying. And, and listen, I'm not worried about money. Don't hear me begging you for money. I'm not worried because the money that God is going to use to accomplish his mission is in the bank. It's just temporarily in some of your accounts. It's his money, you just don't understand that yet. <laughs> Take risks. Take risks with your faith. Believe God for the future with us. Pray for people around you. Pray for our teenagers, pray for our church planters. Pray that God would use the teenagers in this church to raise up the next generation so that they would call back this forsaken nation to Christ. That they would come up in such a way that they would finish the great commission to the world. I want you to believe God for great things. Take a risk. Listen, the band comes. We're gonna sing. I've gone too long. Listen, my point is this. Acts doesn't end in chapter 28. It's still moving. The movement continues because God is not done. And this movement doesn't stop with Paul. It's never been about Paul. And it's not even about us. It's about what the Spirit of God wants to do in us to change our lives in such a way that we would become ambassadors for the gospel. Let me close with this thought. Christianity and following Jesus is not about doing better and trying harder. Following Jesus is about surrender. Surrendering your comforts, surrendering your ambitions, surrendering your plans for the future, surrendering your heart, surrendering your sin, surrendering your entire self to him and his glory. And so today, maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. I would encourage you to surrender. That's your step. Maybe you're here today and, 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 and something, the Holy Spirit sparks something in you to, to, to step out, but your step ultimately is surrender because you've got to surrender your fear and you've got to surrender your, your, your intentions of doing other things. You have to make yourself available. You have to surrender your schedule. You have to surrender your time. You have to surrender your life because God's not done. He wants to do incredible things through you and through this church. I am so excited for this year for us. But it's only, it's only gonna make a difference if we would be willing to surrender.
Let's pray. Oh God, your word is so powerful. Your truth, it runs so deep. And your spirit is so comforting, compelling. So I pray right now for every ear to hear. I pray right now for every heart to receive. That God, you want to use each of us in a mighty way. In this year, that you want to use us for your glory and to advance your name. Oh, Jesus. So, Lord, let us not quench the voice of the Holy Spirit as it compels us to live differently, seize opportunity, embrace sovereignty, and to take risks. Let no voice be louder than your voice. May your will be stronger than our will. And may your name be greater than my name. For your great name, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.